do. Um, so that's just a brief introduction to who will be joining me today. Also, as just a heads up, when we discuss the Twilight series books, we do talk about toxic relationships, emotional abuse, and manipulation. So if you are not comfortable listening to that, just skip ahead and um, you don't need to listen to that section. We hope you enjoy this special episode, and with that, let's go ahead and get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Long Overdue, a Franklin Library podcast. Uh, my name is Sam, and today I have some great guests from uh, when I used to work at North Shore Library and uh, did a podcast over there called Book Chat at North Shore Library. So please welcome to the show, Melody. Hi. And Barbara. Hi. Hello. Thank you both for uh, joining the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm really excited to get back in, and even though we're doing it virtually, it takes me back to the good old days of our uh, podcast back at North Shore, (laughs) which uh, inspired this podcast. Our humble roots. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Humble roots. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, it was a lot of fun. It was very relaxed and. It was, it was like one of my favorite parts of the job. It really was. And I mean, mm-hmm. you two are like so professional now with all this fancy <laughs> equipment. I was very like bare bones. <laughs> so yeah. you two are really impressive. The, the best thing Melody brought to it was actual planning. Uh, Barbara and I would often just decide to record a podcast the day of. I know. Melody well, came on the scene and, and she's like, so I'm going to create a calendar. It's like. What? <laughs> we usually decide well, like the day before. <laughs> part of my part of it for me was like I need to know what to read ahead of time because I'm just reading random things and sometimes I'm not reading. See, you're very perceptive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I needed the help. <laughs> I was like, I need to know what to read. I'm the visionary. Yes. You're the like yes. organizing. Yeah. You're the one who actually gets things done. The big picture versus small picture <laughs> details. Yeah. We yeah. need each other. And we need each other. So um, with Long Overdue, we don't do too many themed shows. Um, we've done some in the past, and we'll definitely do some more. Um, but at North Shore, we definitely did pretty much had a theme every month. Um, there were very few just whatever we've been reading, um, which the best thing about those is it expands your reading catalog. Um, and there are definitely some things I would have never read. Um, I remember like our Western podcast. I was not excited for it. <laughs> That's um, the one that came to mind too. <laughs> and I read uh, Dragon Teeth by Michael Crichton. Um, and it's like one of my favorite books now. And I don't think I would have ever read that if we didn't decide to do a Western themed podcast. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. I chose the wrong book for that episode because I still have not enjoyed Western reading. <laughs> I don't even remember what I read. It must not have been memorable, clearly. Yeah. Well, today we're not talking about Westerns. We are talking about books that we have changed our minds about. So things um, we might have been really excited for and then turned out to not like. Books that we read and really liked and maybe don't like as much anymore. Um, Or maybe ones we hated and now appreciate. So let's go ahead and get started. Well, I'm really excited to talk about this topic because 
we recommend so many books as librarians. And some of the books that I've recommended, you know, I I haven't read for a few years, but they're kind of like stand, like this is my go-to recommendation for somebody interested in this. So it's always interesting to like go back and actually read and then be like, hmm, I don't know if I feel the same way or I appreciate this a lot more than I used to or I see this in a different light. And I, so I'm like really excited to talk about this because I also think it's okay for opinions to change and for perspectives to shift and that's part of our reading evolution so yeah that's my that was uh my take on this topic yeah I agree I I mean it's it's the signal that you're growing like you're changing your your reading interests have changed changed and sometimes you know you're just in a certain I hate to be like cliche but season of life Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and you read something that really hits a chord with you and then later on you're in a different whole different perspective and it's some just does not have the same effect on you yeah it's like it doesn't all of a sudden if you reread a book and you don't like it anymore you have a changed perspective it doesn't take away the value that that book brought to your life at some point I mean it could have as you say it could have helped you in that one season or could have introduced you to this a certain topic that you can explore on a deeper level or just expose you to something that you weren't aware of before. So even if your Mm -hmm. opinion changes, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was a terrible book that you should never read again. So we're definitely not going on that route in this book. Some uh, in this talk, some of the books we talk about people may absolutely love and there's nothing wrong with that. These are just our own opinions and it's not, it's also not saying that we hate any of these books. It's just that (laughs) they no longer For some of them, maybe they just no longer serve us in the way that they did before. Yeah. Yeah. And so this topic was really hard for me to come up with some books because typically I don't reread things unless I really, really enjoyed it. Um, So something I've read multiple times is Lord of the Rings, and I'll never get sick of it. Um, Yeah, so my my books, I don't know, they were difficult to come up with, but I got a couple (laughs) good ones. Yeah, I have a couple. One I reread, and the other one I just know that I've changed my mind about it. Ooh, okay. After yeah. having read it once. You can't tease us like that. Now you have to... <laughs> what, what, yeah. Tell us Get about what started about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the one that I didn't even need to reread is, uh, and I think I might have talked about it in a podcast episode with both of you, is Girl, Watch Your, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. You did. I remember because I had no idea who Rachel Hollis was. And I think it was one of your first episodes with us. Um, yeah. And you recommended it. And I, I asked, like, who Rachel Hollis was. And you said she was, like, an Instagram not like an Instagram influencer, but like she is. Yeah, I don't know how you describe she is. it, but yeah. So it's kind of interesting that you're bringing up a book that you have recommended. That I yeah, that I recommended like happily. Um, it's a self help women empowerment type of book um, where she addresses um, some perspectives that many women believe about themselves and how those perspectives are false and the the counteracting truth about that information. So it's stuff like 
I'm a bad mom and like, no, you're trying hard and you have limited resources and time and you're doing great with what you have. Um, looking back at having read it, I, like it really was useful for me at the time I read it. I needed that empowerment. Um, and I think I was looking for some reaffirming uh, information about like some perspectives that I had had about myself. But now looking back at it, uh, it is very flawed. It's very <laughs> flawed. Um, because she talks about, she really, she's got a very narrow perspective. She is pretty like well off. Um, she's kind of got this like white, uh, high upper middle class um, Christian perspective um, that she she is pretty like she seems open minded, but she's very narrowly focused. So, for example, she talks about uh, fitness and uh, reaching your goals for fitness. And she, she she uses the example of so, OK, you promised yourself you were going to go running, you know, every morning this week. If you promise that to your friend, wouldn't you feel bad about um, canceling on your friend? So why would you do it to yourself? So like, and there's some value in that perspective, but there are a lot of other factors in play. People have busy lives. And I think mental and physical health tie together. And sometimes doing physical activity is really good for your mental health. And sometimes you've done too much and you need a break. And that is also really good for your mental health. So there, that's just one example. Um, looking back, I, and there was a lot of criticism on her book, and she's had a lot of success from Girl, Wash Your Face. She had another book come out like a year later. Um, I think she might have like a, uh, I don't think she has a podcast. I think she has a blog. She, and she's, she does have a podcast. Okay. It's like, I don't know what it's called, but she came out with Girl, Stop Apologizing and then didn't see that coming. Yes. Because I didn't know who Rachel Hollis was when you talked about her. Um, and the only thing I knew about Rachel Hollis was her book always being checked out from the library. Mm -hmm. But I've come to learn about her in like the past year just simply because she was in the news a lot more for the – she got divorced. And that was – oh. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, no, she she got divorced. <laughs> and that makes Girl Wash Your Face totally different. So you didn't know that? <laughs> no. Okay, so I, and see, I feel like I know more about Rachel Hollis right now than you do. <laughs> because I've been following her <laughs> since, like, the pandemic. Because she received criticism during the pandemic for, like, she traveled to Hawaii during the pandemic and then stopped in Los Angeles to, like, get her hair done. And then she... Um, she divorced her husband, Dave, after they had they had a podcast together and they had like just released an episode about how they keep their marriage hot. And they were charging people like $1,500 to go to their marriage boot camps. And then, and then lo and behold, they're getting divorced, which I guess she had said in Girl, Wash Your Face, like you should never get divorced or something like that. And so anyway, that's how, like, I'm like a glutton for this type of consumption. So then I, like, started following her. And 
shortly after coming out with the divorce, she released this book, didn't see that coming. And she got a lot of flack for that because it was like, oh, this is all just a PR stunt to make money off of her divorce that after she had just made money off of selling marriage advice. And so she's gotten a lot of criticism. And most recently, her TikTok video in April, she, I don't know if either of you saw it. Mm-mm. Yeah, she, no. she said um, she didn't want to be relatable and like look down on, she, she didn't look down, but the way she spoke about her housekeeper was very derogatory and basically said, mm-hmm. she just cleans my toilets. Um, and then she said that she didn't want to be relatable to people and it just like blew up and now she's on this like social media hiatus. So I would, I, I find it curious <laughs> th- now that I've taken over your part of the show. Um, I, I, I'm interested, like when I, when you mentioned girl, wash your face, I thought, Oh, like maybe you've been following what's been going on. So it's interesting to me that you changed your mind without even mm-hmm. this whole blow up that, so how did it come? Yeah. How did you start changing your mind about this book? If it isn't from all the stuff that's been going on in the media. No, totally unrelated. It's just that I have had a perspective shift about myself and some of the like bigger world viewpoints that I've had since when I read that book and where I am at now. And I just disagree with some of those those tenets that she argues in Girl, Wash Your Face. Totally unrelated to her. It's just all because of like some changes that I've made in my life. Interesting. Yeah. That is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I remember hearing all that news and it, this was my criticism of her books always was she came off as very like inauthentic while trying to be authentic, but also pushed guilt onto you as the reader. Like in the example you gave, like, well, you wouldn't, say no to your friend if you were supposed to meet up running so don't say no to yourself and it's like okay well then you're just making yourself feel guilty as a motivator and not actually yeah motivating yourself instead of good self-help which is like if you can't get up in the morning to run but that's the only time you can like have all your stuff set out like the more the night before so it's just like one less thing like fewer roadblocks to get things done. Yeah. Um, And giving yourself grace if you miss it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you wake up in the middle of the night and can't fall back asleep for three hours, don't get up early to go for a run. It's not going to work out. (laughs) No. (laughs) So yeah, Melody, that's really fascinating that you're, I, cause I remember you seem to really like the book. And so I thought maybe you had read the other books too. No, I didn't. So mm-hmm. when did was... your opinion change about the book? Probably shortly after. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've been through a journey in the past few years. So, yeah, but, you know, that that's fine. Like, it's interesting how it's, like, the book maybe, like, was the catalyst or the push that you needed to, like, get you in a certain direction. And then you were like, well, okay, that no longer serves me. But it, yeah. it pointed me in the direction. Yeah, and I think that's that's a fair assessment of it yeah yeah I just find it so interesting that she's now divorced because she talks about her marriage in that in that book I can't believe you didn't know that (laughs) and and the way that she I don't remember clearly but I I remember the way that she describes how she met her husband was a little like "Mm, 
Okay, so this is what I also find fascinating is the the things that you're bringing up is criticisms of the book. I haven't read the book, um, but the things you're bringing up is criticisms of the book are exactly what other people are bringing up. So I I have read these criticisms about like the guilting for exercise. I think she says something like, "Would you trust your friend that if they didn't stick with their goals?" Kind like fat shaming yeah. more or less. Um, and that also a lot of people criticize her relationship with Dave because I think he's what, like 11 years older and she was like 19 and sounds like he was pretty awful in the beginning of their relationship. And then she like gave him an ultimatum and people were like, Oh, that's really toxic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so again, I haven't read the book, but it's so interesting that the things that you are pointing out are things that other people have also noticed. So clearly there's like a theme. Um, but it's also, I, I under, it, it's interesting because the book was so popular. Like mm-hmm. we could not keep it on the shelves at North Shore Library. It was at, always. At any library. Right. No, they it were was all checked always out, out. I for mean, years. It was like a New York Times bestseller. So what do you think makes, if people see like, yeah, this is kind of toxic, but it's still like so popular. Like, what do you think it is that makes a book like this so readable and popular? Because even now with all the criticism she's receiving, people still love the book. I see it on social media all the time. Yeah. And I'm trying to think back to when I read it, why I loved it so much. I felt like it was the push I needed to get up and accomplish some of my goals to stop being scared of what other people were going to think of me and make decisions for my life because I wanted them and like I had committed to them. Um, so it was like empowering in a way. Um, and at the time I was, it was like, there were some things like where she talked about her relationship with her, how she met her husband and how he treated her at, at the beginning where I thought, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, this is a little odd. Mm -hmm. But overall, the tone was like, I mean, and that's where the title comes from. Girl, get up, wash your face, go on that run, accomplish the goals, be the woman you want to be. Which, like, to some extent, that is very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, Melody, so um, you've changed your mind on it, but do you still see value from the book? Even yes. if you don't agree with all of it? Yeah, I do. I think there could be books better suited for that kind of a message. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and that's probably the reason it was so popular. Those types of books and like movies and things like that that come out where there's a lot of controversy. There's a reason there's controversy mm-hmm. because there are good aspects but there are also some big flaws. Yeah, that polarization, like some people mm-hmm. can love it, some people can hate it, and that can be what makes something a bestseller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand where you're coming from, Melody, with this book, because the book that I want to talk about is kind of my own version of Girl, Wash Your Face. Um, so if you don't mind if I jump into it, is this a good segue? Yeah, go for it. it. Okay. So, yeah, as Melody is talking about her experiences loving Girl, Wash Your Face initially, now seeing it in a different light and what it 
meant to her at the time, how she still sees some value. That's exactly how I feel about the book Lean In, Women, Work, and the Will to Succeed by Sheryl Sandberg. It came out in 2012. And at the time, I had just, I had just gotten my master's and my first full-time job. And I was looking for guidance on being a boss, babe, you know, <laughs> like I want to <laughs> wrap my career. And um, I, as many people and especially women are, um, you know, very insecure about my qualifications. I totally had like imposter syndrome going on and was like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. And how do I ask for more money? And, you know, how do I be assertive and stuff like that? And Lean In entered the scene. And it was like, do you both remember when this book came out? No? I don't. I feel like I have a faint recollection okay. of when it came out, but I'm, I'm familiar with yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it definitely hit at the time for me that was like in the season of my life, I was like a moth to a flame with this book. And it basically talks about how um, there's some good things in it. Like it talks about how little girls that are assertive get called bossy, whereas little boys that are assertive get called leaders and how that continues to manifest as we become adults and how taking direction from women is often um, seen less, is criticized more than taking direction from men. And so it's, basically about gender roles in the workplace. Um, and I should qualify about binary gender roles, male, female. There isn't conversation about transgender folks in this, which is a problem in and of itself. But um, anyway, at the time, um, you know, it, it talked a lot about like how to ask for more money, how to like go for that promotion, um, how to take opportunities and chances um, and that things like childcare, all that stuff will work out for yourself if you just uh, if you just lean in. And I loved this book. I mean, I felt like this was like my Bible. <laughs> I just I think I read it like three times. I loved it. And it definitely helped me in the beginning of my career, like, I did take on projects and roles and responsibilities that I was scared to take on. And, um, you know, I went for manager roles and things like that. And I was nervous about that. But the, the message of the book about put yourself out there, lean into the work, all that stuff, I definitely went for it because of this book. So I thank it for that. But <laughs> as I've gotten older um, and as my awareness and understanding of feminism and social justice and gender and workplace and all that stuff has expanded. It's definitely problematic. <laughs> um, it basically puts the onus on women and says like, hey, it's your fault. It doesn't say that, but more or less it's saying like, you know what? It's your fault. You can have it all. You're just not trying hard enough. You need to... Um, like put yourself out there more. Like you need to act like a man. It, it talks about how we need to 
um, monitor the way we speak, the way we present ourselves, comparing it to the way men do. Instead of being like, hey, maybe we all need to collectively look at gender roles <laughs> and um, you know have a bigger discussion here. It's basically saying women need to conform in order to be successful. And it also, it you know, from like a capitalist lens, it does not offer solutions for like childcare, maternity leave, paid time mm -hmm. off, affordable healthcare, anything like that. Sheryl Sandberg is a very wealthy, privileged white woman who got gets a lot of help with uh, housekeepers and childcare and things like that. Um, and a, that's just not a reality for the majority of people in this country. And it doesn't offer solutions about how we can cohesively, collectively make change. It really puts it on the individual. And so that's what I have learned um, is that, you know, structural change, instead of this, like every woman for herself, let's all like fight each other to the death for that titled position. And then, you know, everybody underneath gets less than we do. It's like we should be collectively fighting for matern maternity leave and um, flexible work schedules and things like that. I remember even at the time, I didn't have, I don't have kids now, but at the time, you know, I, I didn't have kids and I was 23 and wasn't married or anything. And I thought like one of her solutions was really silly. It was like women often drop out of the workforce or go part-time when they start having kids. This is typically when their careers are just about to take off and they drop out because daycare is so expensive. But stick with it because your promotion is around the corner and then you'll be able to like afford the daycare um, <laughs> or soon like basically like you'll get through that period of your life and if you drop out now all of a sudden you backslid and you'll never be able to make it up again. Which is true, women leaving the workforce have a hard time re-entering at the positions and salary that they should be at. But telling somebody essentially like, <laughs> hey, stick it out. Well, this person also gets like childcare and can afford childcare is pretty ridiculous because it, that's just, again, it's not a, a fiscal reality for so many people. And uh, mm -hmm. I, the last thing I want to say is it also talks about success in terms of such like basically if you want to work for like a fortune 500 you know there's other levels of success success means different things to different people some people want to work in nonprofits or libraries and those obviously have totally different pay structures than a mm -hmm. major being a ceo of a corporation so yeah that advice isn't universal um so yeah that's that's me and i, I see like <laughs> a, i have a lot to say on this clearly um but <laughs> You know, it reminds me a lot about what Melody is talking about. It was like that mm -hmm. go get it attitude that I needed at the time. But now I look back and I'm like, there's some issues here. Yeah, the logic is <laughs> yeah. flawed here. It's it's a lot of that same, like putting the guilt on the individual, like you said, instead of solving the issue of like, oh, well, don't drop out. Just like, you know, toughen up and, and try like afford daycare. It's well maybe society as a collective can make childcare more affordable and easier so people don't need to struggle. Yeah. Reminds me of, I swear there's an article like every 
other week about like, oh, here's this billionaire's work day. They get up at 4.30 to work out for two hours and blah, blah, blah. Like, why don't you do that? And it's like, well, I don't have a private trainer, a private chef, a private daycare uh, chauffeur and massive savings to bolster my like daily routine like mm-hmm. that's not the reality of 99% of the people so don't make me feel guilty about not having that successful person schedule yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah so I think I mean Sam are there books geared towards men that are uh, that are these types of motivate <laughs> I know Dave Hollis put out a book <laughs> that yeah, I think is not read that. Men, but, I'm um, going to tell you that. Um, <laughs> or is I'm this like to predominantly think, like a women's I, thing? I feel like it's a lot more for women. Um, I typically don't read a lot of self-help books unless they're kind of very generalized of um, – and, and they do come out every year. I feel like January is where all those self-help books <laughs> are super popular – um, because it's New Year's resolution <laughs> season, um, and I have read a couple. Make your bed. You read that before? Yeah, I, yeah. Ma- I read the Make Your Bed in the morning. Which do you, um, do you make your bed every morning still? Yes, I do because my wife will yell at me. If I don't. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry if you're listening to this podcast, Becca. <laughs> um, no, but it's so that was the premise. Um, I can't remember um, who wrote that book I'll, I'll put it I'll put it in the the notes of the episode um, and but it was a commencement speech and he said um, like start your day by making your bed in the morning and that was like the theme of the commencement speech and then that was the the flagship story of this book because it's something easy and achievable to start your day off on a like a strong note every single day and I feel like that's completely different from what we have been talking about because making your bed takes, what, two minutes t- maximum unless you have a very complicated bed spread. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's something that it's you can check it off your list for the day. You feel like you've accomplished something for the day. Um it makes your living space yeah it makes your living space look good it's achievable and it's not ultra rigid of i'm gonna run for an hour every day in the morning or i'm gonna wake up and like do meditation every single day for half an hour it's an achievable goal that takes a minute or two out of your day but um, it'll get your the ball rolling yeah. for your day. So I tend to read things like that. Yeah. And um, there definitely are some. I don't know any titles offhand um, that delve into the, like, ultra-alpha male stereotype for men, um, and I actively avoid <laughs> those types of books. Can you please um, read one for our next I will, uh, yeah, I'll make a note. You know, that Read would actually be really book. funny if we all <laughs> chose, like, a self-help book and then made ourselves, like, do the things for, like, a week and then see how miserable we are. Yeah, that would be awful. It's, I just want to yeah, be mediocre just, and happy. I, <laughs> I want to do the achievable and things that don't, Yeah. It, like, aren't crazy. I feel like there are some, like I said, alpha male type books where it's, like, um 
it, it feels like cruel to do things to people because then like you're in charge you're the top dog and i just don't find that that's constructive i'm more collaborative than i don't know that's one of those personality tests which barbara (laughs) loves i've taken i do too (laughs) yeah i think us three have taken more personality tests (laughs) while working together Yeah, I, I do find it interesting, though, how, like, these books tend to be geared towards women. And, like, like mm-hmm. Sam's saying there's, you know, there's a difference between a very small, concrete, like, hey, make your bed, versus, like, well, go be CEO, <laughs> lose 20 pounds, like, solve childcare crises, find the love <laughs> of your life. Like, these huge things. And, like... Also, I find it interesting that we're taking advice from people that have like millions of dollars. <laughs> and right. It's like, but there is, yeah. I mean, maybe there is like this idea, like this false sense of control that comes with it. Like, oh, yeah. maybe I well, do have yeah. control over yeah. my, you know, which there are certain things we do have control over our lives and it can feel empowering to lean in to the things we do have control over but there are many things that are beyond our control that we aren't going to change and we shouldn't feel Mm -hmm. guilty about that and I I think it's also worth mentioning that Barbara your and my both of our books are really based on society's expectations of what a successful life looks like yeah and we I think it's important to keep that in mind because you know, you may not want that for your life and a happy life for you might look completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's important to note that too and kind of like open up your perspective a little bit. It doesn't have to be this one track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so just to briefly touch on again, the like taking advice from very, very wealthy people who have all these resources there are um two books by tim ferris who is the um like four hour work week or whatever oh yeah guy um tools of titans and tribe of mentors and it's all just like very wealthy people or celebrities talking about how they like start their day successfully and it's just unrealistic for the majority of people to be able to do any of those things um so I, I, I just don't understand the value you can get out of that when it's not something that people with an, an average life, like, need to do. Well, one of the things that when Rachel Hollis got under this criticism for the TikTok video, she said something like, most people won't wake up at 4.30 in the morning, um, you, you know, and, like, you're kind of saying how all these rich, wealthy people are getting up early. Like, I get up at 4. And it's like, there are millions of people who get up at 4 and 4.30 in the morning because they have to get to work. <laughs> like, yeah, like <laughs> you're not special. Forget, like, it's a privilege to get up at 4 in the morning to meditate or, like, right. you know, hit the gym for two hours. Like, there are plenty of people that get up at those hours because they have to earn a living. <laughs> right. <laughs> and unfortunately, they just don't have the funding and the affluence to be able to write a book about their lives. Yes. 
Yeah. Like these wealthy people do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Sam. <laughs> this is oh, a pretty man. deep dive. Now. Get, What's get us out of to, this hole. <laughs> uh, yeah, to not go super deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take us out. Um, oh, so wait, this before you do, I, Sam, sorry. Before you do, I do want to say that a book that I actually think helped me a lot in talking about women and work that I want to recommend is called Birth Strike, The Hidden Fight Over Women's Work by Jenny Brown. I just want to say, give a solution to an alternative book that I think addresses um, women and workplace and the larger problems. Cool. Yeah, great. Um, well, let's uh, move into the fun part. <laughs> um, so this is one, I, I apologize, I did not put it in the planning document for this podcast. It's a a little switcheroo, um, but it's Super Sad True Love Story by Gary Steingart. Um, so going through, I was trying to find books that I've read that I've talked about on podcasts before that now I've changed my mind about. And so I actually went back and re-read this book and it came out in 2010 and I probably read it in 2012, maybe 2011, 2012, um, when I was in college and so I was in a very different mindset. I was an English major. I was like, oh, I'm deep, and I have this great analysis of these great books. And I thought it was just, like, the funniest, most accurate commentary. Um, and in some ways it is. Um, but the, like, premise is that it's, um, like, near-future dystopian United States where um, the United States is like, completely run out of money, they have no allies. They're, like, insanely in debt to the Chinese, and all their, like, currency is pegged to Chinese currency. Um, there's, like, crazy inflation. Um, they're involved in a war in Venezuela, which is just, like, why no one is the United States ally anymore. Um, and everyone is obsessed with um, their mobile devices called apparats. And uh, this is when, like, smartphones were, like, everyone started having them. Because when they first came out, it was something no one except, like, business people had because they were the only ones who could afford the, like, several hundred dollar iPhone. Um, but by, I don't know, 2012 or so, um, iPhones were just affordable and there were many more smartphones and I was like man this is just so smart and such a good critique of the United States and <laughs> like this is where we're heading and I was just this like edgy college student reading it and I talked about it on a podcast without rereading it because I had such fond memories well I reread it and it's still a good book but I was just kind of like cringing at some of the chapters and I was like this is a little heavy handed of like a metaphor and comparison um, and some of it was just just crass and yeah like what I makes you cringe now just I don't know like I don't know just <laughs> I, I can't think of like a specific instance so not um, to get all psychological on here but, like, yeah. are you cringing because of the actual book, or are you cringing because of your previous adoration <laughs> of the book? Uh, both. Okay. Um, both. Yeah, I, I think I read it, and I was, 
like you both said, in that state of mind where I was like, man, this is such like a good book and it's so accurate. And I think I wanted to like, I I actually went to a reading at um, Prairie Lights in Iowa City, which is where the Iowa Writers Workshop mm-hmm. is um, with, um, I think it was my creative writing class. And I was like, okay, like I need to, show these people that I'm like a serious like writer um and I mean I it was really good we had fun um and Gary Steingart is a good author and I've read pretty much all of his books um and so I think I'm cringing at college-aged Sam a little bit but also just the heavy-handedness of um the like humor and things like that in the book um, like I said, I can't pick out like a specific instance, um, but the like the book uh, goes in between one character who's like an older guy and he's stuck in the past, and then his um, younger girlfriend who's like super into pop culture and her mobile device and things like that. Um, and his diary entries are like the, these long, like eloquent chapters. And her diary entries are just, like, basically tweets on her <laughs> phone. Um, and it's just that, like, humor of, like, oh, cell phones are bad. And I don't know why I thought it was the greatest book I've ever read when I read it. And I still enjoyed it, but I it's definitely gone down a few pegs in my esteem. So if you were to recommend it to somebody now, how would you do that? Oh, boy. Um, so it's funny because I recommended it to my brother and he was like, oh, yeah, like I, it, it was OK. And I like couldn't understand why he thought it was OK. <laughs> but he's a couple years older than me. And I was like, now that I'm older, I'm like, OK, I get it now. Um, I would recommend it as um, it's, it's a very good piece of writing. So for like people who are interested in creative writing, I would definitely recommend it to them or people who are like real into critiquing American culture. Um, But I feel like the average reader probably wouldn't get a kick out of it um, just because it is a little heavy handed in the critiques. I don't know. It would be hard to recommend, I guess. Like, would you give it to somebody that's looking for like, like a cynical book? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, that's a good. So. That's a good descriptor. Is it? It's a cynical outlook of like modern American society. So, like somebody that wants to get in touch with like their misanthropic side or something like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Um. So you said you recently reread it in preparation for this podcast. Yeah. Okay. And you were like having seconds. I, I, so I listened to the audiobook and I was like, man, I can't wait to reread this. And then as I was rereading and I almost like turned it off halfway through. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is not, not as good as I remember it being. <laughs> Isn't that so funny um, how like yeah. you can think a book is so profound and then go around thinking for years what an amazing book this was. And then you re listen or reread it and you're like huh what was I thinking yeah yeah it's so about like the mindset you're in at the time it's 
such a big factor. I think about that when I like start watching TV shows too. Sometimes I just am not into them, don't enjoy them. And I just know like, I'm going to put this aside for when I have a different perspective and I might enjoy it. Yeah. Or like same with movies. I mean, the way I love the movie Devil Wears Prada as like, you know, a good bingy, just like mindless movie. But again, at the time when I first watched it, you know, I thought like Miranda Priestly was this terrible boss and that, you know, Andrea, her boyfriend was right in like wanting her to get a different job and all this stuff. And now I watch it as an adult. I'm like, eh, Miranda wasn't like that bad. She just like knew what she wanted. And uh, Andrea's boyfriend sucks. Like, <laughs> so yeah, it's funny how you can change. Yeah. So I guess like going on the, the light factor, Melody, what about your second book? Okay. I've been waiting to talk about this. <laughs> So when, I'm also so excited to hear yeah. about this. So when we picked this theme, I was like, I'm going to reread Twilight. <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh my gosh, it's been so bad. So I've, I've never read Twilight. I've read excerpts of Twilight mm-hmm. that were like handpicked to be like the worst parts <laughs> of the Twilight books. Yep. So that's my experience with Twilight. I have yeah. no experience with Twilight other than my sophomore year of college, my roommate was just raving about it and I thought she was crazy and then like Twilight Storm hit. So, <laughs> but I've never watched a book, a movie or read a book. So I read all of the books when I was a teenager, when they came out, um, got through all of them, loved them. I, and I, I, there was a certain, you know, degree of like, okay, this is ridiculous, but it's really fun. And I really like the storyline. Um, I watched the first movie and never watched any of the other movies. Um, and then now, uh, however many years later, rereading this book after I've been in therapy for a while and have done some self-growth. It's just, hey, it's like, it is the depiction of a toxic relationship. Okay, now you have me interested. Yeah, okay, so like, <laughs> I don't know anything about this book, so you need to like, Tell me. Yeah. As soon as you're like, I've been in therapy, I'm like, therapy in Twilight? What is like? Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> they all need therapy. They all need therapy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the premise, for anyone who may need a refresher on Twilight, not that you do in your life ever, but <laughs> so there's this young girl, Bella. She's in high school. She moves to Washington State to live with her dad. Her mom recently got married and is traveling with her new husband, and in school, she meets this weird, like, ethereal family that's, they're all, like, really pale and very graceful and beautiful and kind of rude. And she has this special, weird connection with the youngest one, Edward. And she ends up falling in love with him and realizing he's a vampire. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's, like, the journey of, like, oh, how do they live as vampires? What are vampires in the real world? And what does this mean for Bella? So looking at it now, first of all, 
they their relationship moves so quickly. It's been like two days, and they're saying they love each other already. She's like, I would rather die than be away from him. Whoa. She is so, so deep. Like, this poor girl, she is so codependent on Edward. <laughs> and Does she have any friends in her new place, or is it, like, all... Not good friends. They're all, like, friends that she doesn't like. Okay. And, like, the reason that she left her mom to live with her dad, it's, like, it's confusing, because she, she constantly complains about Washington State, about the weather there, about how she hates that she's moved away from where she grew up with her mom, but her mom, like, she really cares about her mom and wants her mom to be happy, but she's clearly unhappy and unwilling to try to be happy here. Um, so, like, Bella has some issues, right? Like, she's, <laughs> she, she maybe needs to, like, do some self-reflection, find some joy and independence in being herself. She's a teenager, and I was a teenager when I read it, and I did not, like, know myself well enough. I felt similar to Bella. And then Edward, you know how people say when someone tells you who they are, believe them? Mm-hmm. Yes. Edward literally tells her, stay away from me. I'm dangerous. <laughs> I'm oh. bad for you. Like, Ooh. he tells her multiple times. And that's, like, the whole, like, beginning part of the story where she's like, why does he not like me? He's so rude around me. It's the, not, the bad boy aura. Right. It's irresistible. <laughs> not to mention the fact that apparently her scent, like, her blood and her scent are, it's like the best cheeseburger you've ever had. <laughs> Wait, is that what they say? Yes. Well, they compare it to heroin. Oh, what? What? That's worse. What? So wait, do they compare it to heroin and a cheeseburger? Or no, no, I, I, I made up the cheeseburger. Well, yeah, that's definitely more PG than heroin. <laughs> what? But he's like, it's like you're you're like my special brand of heroin. Like it's yikes. So like she and... is has this amazing like scent that he just is finds irresistible and he wants to eat her all the time he wants to eat her like he wants to drink her blood oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) okay so there's that um which in and of itself is ridiculous like i'm it's just like if you were sitting if you were starving and you're sitting in front of like the best cheeseburger you've ever smelled in your life you're like, do I want a relationship with this cheeseburger or do I want to eat it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's... Edward decides he wants a relationship. So there's other parts. Edward is like over a hundred years old. He's... Vampires are immortal. So when he was turned, his body is now at the age where he was turned into a vampire. And he's been a vampire for years. Bella is 17. And he asks her like, how old are you? Uh, so there's that. Yeah, that's like Predator vibes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And she knows. <laughs> Bella is literally like, this man is a predator and he could kill me at any moment. I am so and, in love with him. So does she know that he's like super old? Yes. Like, yes. And, and it, like, she just thinks, yeah, I'll hang out with this guy who's <laughs> yeah. technically like over 100 years old. So what Yes, is, because she has like this. he looks like he's 20. Okay, so she also describes him like he's a god. Oh, the 
the descriptions. <laughs> I wish you had like a book in front of you. I think I do. I think I have it in my bag. Should I get it? <laughs> Maybe. So as a teenager, were you just like, oh my gosh, this is so romantic? Yeah, like what? Yeah, that, what did you think as a teenager? Like, I think I did. I think I did because she. Okay, and there is a part of this that. So something also I should mention is Bella clearly has some like daddy issues where she didn't really have a dad growing up, and now she's getting all of this attention from this like amazing, beautiful, perfect person, male person. Um, who's older than her. And I had some daddy issues growing up. So, like, I see some of the similarities mm-hmm. there. Because um, she, she like, describes him as, like, his perfect skin, his voluptuous lips, his cold and stonely body, you know? <laughs> this is, like, a romance, like, you know, one of those paperback romances, but, like, yes. for teens. So, reading this knowing about Fifty Shades of Grey. That's I, that's what I was going to say. It's like, oh, this is clearly Fifty Shades of Grey. That's what I, I that's, I was literally going to say that. Like, it sounds like it's like the teen version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, so, and that's what Fifty Shades of Grey is. I don't know if you know that, that that came out of fan fiction from Twilight. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that's why Fifty Shades <laughs> exists. Well, I was also um, going to say, it, it sounds like Fifty Shades because of the writing. Like, I only got through 50 yeah. pages of Fifty Shades of Grey because the writing, I just could not stand. Yeah. It was like, my yes. goddess sways. Like, oh my god. And that's just kind of what it sounds like. And it is. It is. And I'm trying not to be, like, too harsh on the <laughs> author. You know, she, this woman has, like, made a career for herself. Mm-hmm. She's done great for herself. But... Even just the first intro, so the the intro to the book is, it's a scene from the end of the book where Bella is like, the hunter looks at me and he smiles deceptively. Like, what, what does that mean? Interesting. <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing, those aren't the actual words, but that's what it feels like. <laughs> the, the writing is just very simplified, which is why it's a young adult book. Yeah. Um, so what happens? Do they get married or like break up or what? Okay, uh, so spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> if you wanted to read the Twilight series, I will tell you what happens in the series. Uh, skip ahead a couple minutes if you don't want to know. Um, they so here's the other part. Uh, Bella and Edward love each other. Usually, you know, with that comes like physical things. However. Bella is heroine to Edward, so she is not, she's supposed to be, like, totally still. This poor teenage girl is having physical reactions to him. It's, Barbara, I saw your face. (laughs) You, yeah, you all can't see my face right now, but. (laughs) But, like, okay, so her heart races. She, she, like, wants to grab him back and kiss him back. But she can't? He's like, no, you can't, because that's going to be too much for me. Also, speak carefully. (laughs) It is never specified. Edward has moments where, like, they get close to each other, they start to kiss, and then she will physically respond and, like, grab him tighter, put her hands in his hair. If he runs away at lightning speed (laughs) and turns into this broody guy who's like, 
I, I can't handle it right now. Just get away. Oh, Edward. <laughs> it's oh, so bad. Oh, good golly. <laughs> it's so bad. So this totally, okay. Um, <laughs> so, wait, back to the, the summary. Okay. So they fall in love. Um, some other, like, vampires come into town and they want to eat Bella or drink her blood, I guess I should say. <laughs> Um, and so the, the Edward and his family have to save her from them. And then she, Edward, so book two, I think, Edward is like, you know what? I think this relationship might be unhealthy. <laughs> he like has this internal <laughs> struggle. You think? He's like, I think maybe we should stop. And he doesn't tell her why. He leaves. He's like, all right, we're leaving. I'm done. Bye. Bella so codependent, wants to die. She, like, tries killing herself. She, like, is huddled in the fetal position in the forest when it happens and um, then <laughs> develops a closer closer friendship with, we haven't even talked about, um, what's his name? Taylor Laudner? J- Jacob. Jacob, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad that I, I know that. I was going to say, aren't there, like, werewolves in this, too? Yeah. <laughs> So we haven't even talked about Jacob or the werewolves. So Jacob is her friend who, like, he's a couple years younger than her. And in the first time that they meet in book one, she starts to flirt with him to get more information about the Cullen family. She does not like him like that. But that is her first interaction where she's, like, really flirty and it seems like she likes him. And so now he's obsessed with her. And he has come of age where he now becomes a werewolf. Um, and Edward is gone and he's like trying to protect her. Eventually Edward comes back. Some other things happen. Bella and Edward get married. Edward wants to wait until after they're married to, you know, take the next step in their physical relationship, which Bella's like, fine, if you want to. (laughs) And that whole scene is described. The honeymoon is described. Uh... (laughs) In a in a young adult book. In a young young adult way. And like Edward is so strong that the next morning this is so bad. Bella is like covered in bruises. It's this, so bad. Okay, this book sounds it's so really bad. Wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> Do I wanna Don't know worry. more? Though? It gets worse. It gets so worse. Then, then Bella's like the next day she's like, huh, my stomach seems bigger than it was yesterday. And lo and behold, she has an accelerated pregnancy. She gets pregnant. <laughs> Wait, so she yep. has children in like a day? <laughs> Not in a day, but like the pregnancy is accelerated very quickly. And uh, her baby wants her to eat blood. Oh, gosh. It's so bad. There's like a scene where she's like drinking some blood out of a cup in a straw <laughs> so, I'm just like imagining like the metal straws people use yeah. now with like the fancy like a white right? exactly. Can we just pause for a second to understand how a book is made that someone had to think of this, write it, edit it multiple times, have additional readers read it and give mm-hmm. it the thumbs up, have editors and publishers read it. And it's what four? The series is what four books? Yeah, mm-hmm. long. And it, and it, it 
three books, and but it there, got green lighted. Hang on, there's a new book from Edward's perspective oh, that gosh. came out last year. See, it's, so it it's moments like this where I'm like, hmm, I really could. Maybe like my dream of becoming a published author isn't too far off. <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, so, and like I, I know. Just, it baffles me that it can make it through that many people and right. have so many and, issues. And this is the plot. So I don't yes. even, you know, wait, I'm all wait. about like, there's more. I have to finish. <laughs> we're, if you've skipped ahead a couple minutes, we're till, still telling spoilers. Okay, so <laughs> she has this accelerated pregnancy. The baby wants blood. The birth birthing scene is horrific. I'm not going to go into detail. It's like Bella almost dies. It's terrible. She like gives birth to a vampire child, um, and then and then like the child has this weird it's like, like Rosemary's baby adult adulty <laughs> face. It's like the creepiest thing ever. Um, and then I think Bella gets turned because she's gonna die. So Edward finally turns her into a vampire. Then she's like all of a sudden not clumsy anymore. She's like a big klutz. That's a whole nother plot point I need to discuss after we get through the summary. <laughs> And then Jacob, the werewolf guy, apparently there's this thing with werewolves where, like, they have a soulmate, and when they meet them for the first time, they, like, imprint on them like Uh a baby would to a mother. Guess who his soulmate is? Bella. The baby. Oh. What? Yeah. Stop. Okay. (laughs) I think I need you to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Okay. Yeah. So like, That's the summary. We'll wrap it up there. <laughs> I'm all it's... about creative license. <laughs> it's just, it makes me wonder, like, is this appropriate for young adults? You know what I mean? Like, because... Is this appropriate for anybody? Well, sure. <laughs> but, like, there's a, you know, there's a crowd for everything. But, okay, I want to know, like, did this give you, like, false expectations of what romance is did you think it was romantic at the time so i knew it was ridiculous okay we all know at least that we have that did you know it was like abusive and toxic though or did you just think it was no i did not that's therapy so that's what i want to talk about like when did you look i'm assuming you didn't reread twilight or did i i i am i have four hours left on my audiobook for this podcast okay. recording. <laughs> okay, so like, but before for this podcast, did you ever reread it? Like, no. in your 20s? Okay. No. And so were you just like walking around thinking like, yeah, that, like that was like a cheesy, like whatever series. And like, at what point did you stop and reassess and be like, that actually was problematic? I mean, as you know, as I often think about Twilight once every day. <laughs> um. I mean, when it's come up, yes, the realization that it is toxic and manipulative has, like, occurred to me. However, my memory of it is not as bad as it really is. And rereading it now, I'm seeing, like, with a different perspective. Oh, okay. So, for example, Bella is very klutzy. She, like, falls everywhere. And Edward is, like, really weird about it, where he's, when I was reading it at the time, I thought, oh, he's so patient with her klutziness. But reading it now, he seems really annoyed. And he's like, oh, Bella, okay, I'll carry you. I'm like, oh, how sweet. He'll carry her so she doesn't fall. But really, he just seems, like, bothered by the fact that she's a klutz and he's this perfect vampire mm-hmm. thing. Um, 
so uh, yes, I've realized that it's problematic and toxic, but now like actually rereading the the text in the book is very eye opening. How bad it really is. Do you think that like? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's it's just, so like my viewpoint of this is you're reading it as a teenager and you understand the fact that like okay she's 17 he doesn't look that much older but he is in fact a lot older like lifetimes older than she is and you're like okay like that's kind of weird but it's because he's a vampire so it's actually kind of romantic <laughs> but like that doesn't happen in real life what happens in real life is a teenage girl reads that then and is like oh it's okay if someone mm. older is because that's that can be romantic and i think the emotional maturity level is a factor too cuz edward is clearly not emotionally mature he has got he also needs therapy bella needs therapy <laughs> edward needs therapy cuz edward has this internal struggle like he thinks he's evil because he's a vampire now and it's been years and he's never gotten past like feeling like a an evil person and not really coming to terms with who he is either. So their emotional maturity level is similar. Um, so they both which, need therapists. Oh, like, oh of their yes. Themselves. <laughs> yes. So far in rereading, my favorite character is her dad, Charlie. <laughs> yeah. Because he's... He's like, you're dating who now? <laughs> and she's like new in his life and he's feeling Does she tell her family that he's a vampire? Like, do other people know? No. I mean, they know that something is weird and wrong, but she doesn't tell them. Mm. I think she might eventually tell Charlie. There are so many, like, layers to unpack here yes. about, like, an abusive, toxic relationship of, like, yeah. secrecy, mm-hmm. um, age. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Like, vast age differences when somebody's like, you know, a minor. <laughs> mm-hmm. So now I, I've never wanted to read Twilight, and now I'm like, maybe I kind of do and <laughs> write uh, Twilight Goes to Therapy. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> so that I actually have considered reading the new Edward book simply after this experience, like trying to figure out, okay, what. Is she going to write as his perspective? Is she going to try to justify his behavior? And, like, he he just needs, he just needs therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's, that is my message from Twilight. Well, you know, it's interesting because I was all, like, thinking this was going to be a light conversation. No. <laughs> I was going to be like, oh, it's silly. But, like, this is actually pretty intense. Yeah, this could. This is probably yeah. the heaviest episode. I know. I almost felt like, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even for this Twilight one, I feel like we almost should have put like a trigger warning or something. We can. We can take it on at the beginning. I, I mean, kind of because yeah, that's really it, it's way more <laughs> what like a, problematic. What a introduction to our podcast's respective audiences is this like super heavy discussion. <laughs> Yeah, it's, like, I totally thought this was going to be some lighthearted, like, oh, I changed my mind, and instead we're taking on all of these major themes. Abusive, toxic, manipulative relationships. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
Wow. Thanks for unpacking that. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> that was a lot. I mean, yeah, that really is. shifted my whole perspective about the series. I truly just thought it was the silly fangirl type thing. I didn't realize how traumatic it could be. Yeah. I mean, I kind yeah. of feel, yeah, that was a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> <laughs> do you do you have another book, Barbara? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Something uh, um, lighthearted? Well, maybe? <laughs> I don't have anything lighthearted. <laughs> okay. Um, how about Catch and Kill: Lies, Spies, and a Conspiracy to Protect Predators? You know? Oh no, I'm reading this for the first time. Yeah, it's by Ronan <gasps> Farrow, and I actually I want to put a disclaimer here. I am not throwing this book out. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying that I've changed my mind on anything. I listened to the audio. I've also listened to his podcast. I think that this book is important. It brings necessary, I mean, necessary conversations about predator, sexual abuse, all of that to light. It's super important. And I want to be very clear that I am not saying I am not like anti-Me Too movement or anything like that. Um, I loved this audiobook when I first listened to it. I remember my husband and I listened to it on a road trip to North Carolina to visit my aunt and uncle. Um, and he really, you know, we were both just engulfed in this book. Super engrossing. Um, however, there was a New York Times article that came out um, last year. I can't remember when. It was like May of last year. And it's called, Is Ronan Farrow Too Good to Be True? And it caused a big media sensation because it calls into question Ronan Farrow's reporting tactics in general for several things that he's written, including uh, Catch and Kill, um, and questioning his journalistic integrity. Like, he claimed many things in Catch and Kill he had on the record, but then it turns out that they weren't on the record, or he didn't have um, other sources to corroborate or verify certain things in there. I I can't, you'll have to look up that article um, for the deep dive. And so I bring this up, not because it made me all of a sudden doubt women or these stories or anything like that. Not at all. What it did for me, though, was it shed a lens for me about journalism and how important um, journalism is, journalistic integrity. Um, So I felt that the reason I bring this book up is not to say I necessarily changed my opinion about it, but that now I, I look back with the lens of like, how much is um, how how much is like the journalist reporting versus a story somebody's selling? Um, because I guess that's another critique is that like he creates a story um, and then like puts in his journalism to fit the story where journalism is really you go where the story goes. So I hope that that's clear, that I'm not, um, you know, anti-Me Too. I'm not saying that there aren't predators or that this book is worthless or anything like that. It's just more like it got me thinking more about journalism and reporting and books that I consume. And it brings up the second, the, the fourth book that relates to it, 
um, is this type of reporting. Um, it's called Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s. When I first read this book, I remember cataloging it at the library, and I, I like, brought it home, and I read it in, like, a day. Like, I – Sam knows I love my conspiracy theories. I love my cults. I love, like, true crime. So this, like, hit fit the bill. And it is so sensational, just, like, these – conspiracies about the the Manson family and like MK Ultra and the CIA and all this stuff. And I just couldn't stop reading it. It was great. And then last year I wanted to reread it and I wanted to listen to the audiobook with my husband. And it brought up a lot of the same things that Catch and Kill brought up about like the journalism behind it because the author that wrote Chaos is a journalist. And but the book has gotten a lot of flack for like lack of journalistic ethics. <laughs> so I guess that's the the combined theme between these two books is like I see how they can be they're good in some ways, but I also see that like there's some flawed reporting. Do you think the the flaws in the reporting could have been resolved if uh, more time had been taken to write? Catch and Kill? Yeah. Didn't I mean, this come out, like, in the wave of all of that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it might have also been pushed through, like, to fit into, like, a, a media timestamp, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you want to hit the mark when these conversations are being had or whatever. So that's mm-hmm. a good point that, like, maybe things could have been ironed out if there wasn't this time crunch. For chaos, I can't say that because the guy literally had 20 years worth of reporting (laughs) and he was originally supposed to write an article for like the Hollywood Reporter for in 1999 for like the 30th anniversary since the Manson killings. And the dude just went on this whole tangent for 20 years and he couldn't like sell a book or get his article. And now all of a sudden it's just like, hey, this is 20 years of my like hodgepodge uh, journalism, here's some crackpot theories. <laughs> so I can't <laughs> say that for chaos. Um, but I can certainly say it. Although now that I think about it, chaos did come out at the 50th anniversary of Manson. So he was probably like, this is my chance. I got to sell this. Um, <laughs> whereas, uh, yeah, probably catch and kill had something to do with the larger conversations mm-hmm. being had. Yeah. I mean, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I mean, like, it's all about money, right? Like, this book was written to make sales, and it came out at a time when it would probably make the best sales it ever will. So when he's reporting, you do have that, the reporter's ethic question, like, do I report as accurately as possible and lose some of the value of the storytelling? Mm. Or... Do I embrace the storytelling and lose some of that, you know, that reporter's accuracy? Like, where is the line there? Yeah. Um, Which, when you're actually reporting for, like, a... Why can't I think of what they're called? Newspaper? (laughs) Newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) That old-fashioned thing? (laughs) News agency, there it is. Oh, okay. When you're reporting for a news agency, like... Truth and reporters' ethics should be number one. When you're writing a book, like, it is about story. So not to justify Mm -hmm. that that was the right choice, but just to note that 
that balance, the question mm-hmm. of the balance is there. Yeah. And, like, also to reiterate, like, Ronan Farrow's book brought forth, like, a super important necessary conversation and expose. Um, it's just, for me, these books represent, um, yeah, like, when journalists write a book or anybody writes a book, like, what is the, um, what's, how are people getting their information, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to me, it's like, it's disappointing that there's definitely a lot of truth in these stories. So then when you embellish and fabricate, it takes away from the, like, authenticity of the story and damages the credibility. Yeah. So you're working against the point you were trying to make. Totally. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you would have just reported just the facts and exactly what happened and maybe clarified intent or like the more outrageous things yeah your sales might not have been as good but then we wouldn't be having this conversation years later saying look at all this embellishment that went into it can we really trust any of it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and you know i also i feel like it's important for me to say the the article is Ronan Farrow, Too Good to Be True. Um, so it was scrutinized by this media columnist, Ben Smith, from New York Times. Ben Smith, in turn, also got criticism after he brought out this piece saying, well, you've done the same thing. Um, you know, you've done that type of journalism, too. So... Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it kind of spiraled into this big Twitter storm and Twitter war that really, I think, at the heart gets to this world that we live in now of, like, media consumption and what sources we choose to trust or do trust. I mean, I think that's it ultimately at its core. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think the ultimate thing is media <laughs> consumption. Yeah. There's no easy answer really either. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So well, that, those are mine. I don't know if really anybody else. with uh, lightening up the conversation. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> so uh, this is a book I've only read once but i i changed my mind about it um based on expectations and it's where the crawdads sing by delia owens okay Um, i I was surprised to see this on the list because i didn't read it but like girl wash your face it's like could not keep this book Mm -hmm. on a shelf yes and so i was inspired by a podcast of book chat where lizzie talked about it and she refuses to read it because it got so much hype and that I was in that same boat I wasn't going to read it because I was so sick of people asking for it (laughs) and getting frustrated when they weren't getting it because hundreds of people were putting it on hold and it was a months long waiting list and we we just kept buying copies and it just it was never enough we would add several people a day Mm-hmm. to the list mm-hmm. and I was like this I'm so sick of this book and I'm I'm never gonna read it <laughs> and um I was going on vacation and I didn't have anything to read and there's a lucky day copy oh, of God. it and I was like I mean let's see what the hype is about 
and it's so good. I loved it. It was so good. But I had that initial expectation of it's just that mass popularity garbage and I'm not going to like it and I'm just sick of people asking about it. Um, but it tells the story of um, this girl who lives in like the like the bayou swamp area and outside of a town and um, people in the town call her swamp girl um, I think some some something equivalent to that and so she's definitely an outsider um, but makes inroads um, her family life is real shattered her mom leaves when she's young her siblings leave basically as soon as they can um, and her dad has uh, like alcohol issues and um, is just never home um, so she had to learn to survive by herself, um, and very quickly in the story, she's living by herself and just surviving, um, talks about how she tried to go to school, um, because the, like, government welfare officers came and were like, you, you're a young child, you need to go to school, um, and she went for a couple days and got made fun of and never went again, um, but it is such good writing, it is such good character development. Um, it is one that I would then tell people it is worth the wait. Put your name on the waiting list and and wait for it. So if you haven't read it, which it sounds like you haven't, no, I, I and have. I think go for it. <laughs> so Melody, what did you think? Did you like it too? Um, okay, so it was assigned reading when I read it. I had to read it for to host a book club. Mm. And um, not to give myself away, but I didn't get through the end because the book club <laughs> date came before I could finish the book. And then I why finish it? <laughs> like I read a summary online to be able to host the book club. Yeah. So not to how, give away how much did you actually read of it? Like half, more than half? I read about three quarters. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is good. It's slow. Like, you have to take your time reading it. And I was in a rush to finish it before the book club date. Um, So I think that it's worth a reread for me when I have more time to spend on it. It it is really interesting. Like, the character is very compelling and her experience in the town. Um, And now that I know what happens at the end, I'm like, oh, I should go back and reread that. Yeah. I I really enjoyed it, and as librarians, I feel like we fall into that trap of kind of rejecting those hyper-popular books, um, because so many people want them, you hear so much about them, um, if you order for that area of the collection, you're sick of ordering multiple copies of the same book. Um, and so I typically don't read those um and a lot of the time i'm just like oh it's just you know that mass popularity it's not going to be a good writing it's going to be a decent story um and the only reason people are reading it is because it was on good morning america it was a bestseller it was on somebody's like book club list like oprah put it on her book club and that's why people want to read it um but this one definitely justifies the hype at least in my mind yeah, I think I've avoided it just simply because I saw it all the time that it lost its uh, shine to me. But it's good to know that that you liked it. I mean, yeah, 
<laughs> I tend to go for the popular books after they're no longer popular. You know, it's like yeah. then I get around to it. And so as a librarian, I should read these popular books um, because people want to put them on hold and can get frustrated if the waiting lists are really long. And I want to be able to say, like, it's worth it. Mm. Like, just put your name on the list and wait for it um, because it is frustrating for patrons um, if you put your name on the waiting list and you wait for a book for two or three months because it's so popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get it and it's not very good, I can see how that would be see, I'm, yeah. a frustrating no, experience. I understand like that perspective, but I, I also like sometimes feel as a librarian, I don't have this impetus to read these super popular books because I know everybody else is reading it. So the patron's likely to get the reader's advisory experience from their friend or their family member their who they go to the gym with. So like, I always try to find the, like the books that people, not the like books people aren't talking about, but like the hidden gem, I know not, not even that, but you know what I mean? Like the ones that <laughs> yeah. like are, aren't flying off the shelf. Because, like okay, they're a new because, book, but yeah. like, yeah, maybe it's not getting the attention it deserves or something. Because as librarians, we tend to be, like, the oddball in the social group outside of librarian world. So, like, why would we read the book that everyone else is reading? <laughs> Not to be elitist or anything. Yeah, but I also like, have, like, a total rebellious attitude. Anytime somebody's like, you have to, like, if I'm in a book club and it's like, you have to read this for our next book club, I'm like, all right, automatically don't want to read it. <laughs> Yeah, we want to find the the special gems that no yeah. one else knows about. Well, this was a good chat. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, surprisingly deep, but <laughs> that's it was it was unexpected but good. Mm-hmm. This is a far far cry from our westerns conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we promise. If if you're a new listener to Long Overdue or a new listener to Book Chat, this is not the typical episode. <laughs> we tend to not dive so deeply into society's issues and <laughs> moral problems. It's usually a nice lighthearted read, but these uh, critical chats are always good too. Yeah, they are. There. I mean, I totally think it was worth, I hate to say it, rereading Twilight to see it tr- <laughs> as it truly is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is also part of the life of being a reader is not every book is going to be happy-go-lucky, mm-hmm. and that's that's okay. Yeah, and, yeah. like, I also want to add in here that if any of the books that we talked about today, you're like, well, hey, I really like that. Like, that's awesome. You know, there's... Absolutely. Like, there's, there's nothing, uh, we're not saying, we're not, like, adding a moral or, I mean. Mm-mm. There's fast. no shade. Yeah. Read what you want to yes. read. Read what you want to read. Um, I think it's good to have these conversations, though, and also show that, like, our reading and our takeaways can change and evolve, mm-hmm. and they can be gateways to different books and new topics. Um, and... Yeah, I, I really appreciate that we ended on a note of Sam not necessarily wanting to read a book, but then being pleasantly surprised. So yeah. you never know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your opinions can change. Mm-hmm. And to hop on to Barbara's point as well, 
Um, never be embarrassed about what you like to read or what you put on hold. As librarians, we do not care what books you want. We want to help you get the books you want, and that's that's it. Yeah. Um, so if you love books that we talked about today and didn't like, that's totally cool. We'll happily request them for you and recommend similar books. Yeah, Totally. Like, these are just our opinions, and... You know, we aren't authoritative sources on what you should and shouldn't read. These are just simply recommendations and conversations. Yeah, and there are opinions for ourselves, not for what anyone else reads. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. Like, everybody has their own, um, like, has their own experience with a book. I mean, Mm -hmm. somebody else could have a totally different takeaway from it, so. Yeah. Yeah, so read what you want to read, and we don't judge at all. All right, well, that is all we have for you today. So thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Melody and Barbara, for coming along for the ride. Thanks, this was great. Yeah, it's been super fun to get my feelings about Twilight out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. I will put everything we talked about um in the show notes so you can uh, grab those titles without having to backtrack um go and listen to book chat at north shore library they have a ton of episodes because they've been running the show for years so if you like our show you'll also like theirs i promise and uh we will catch you next month